Welcome to another episode of Chefs and Guests on the Spoon Mob podcast feed. This week, I'm joined by executive pastry chef Aaron Klaus, who's the pastry chef over at the Market Italian Village, Hoofhearted Brewery and Kitchen, which is also in the Italian Village there off 4th Street, and The Crest, which is up off Indianola Ave kind of in the Clintonville area. All three of those are A&R Creative Group properties. So we've had Chef Carlos on, who's the head chef over at Market Italian Village previously. Aaron's really the first pastry chef. I mean, Daniel Kamel has done pastry in his past career, but Aaron's kind of the first one that's exclusively focused on pastry and kind of that plating style of making a dessert really pop off the plate and look really artistic. So we kind of get into all that stuff. He's pretty much a, a local guy, you know, went to Chicago for a bit and then found his way to kind of Food Network TV. And he's competed on a few different shows. So we kind of talk about that and the whole TV process and how he got into that and, and bouncing around. He worked at the Hilton for a while. His most famous dish, uh, most of you have probably seen at least an Instagram photo of it, is like this beehive hanging upside down from a branch. Uh, it's like a honey beehive. And then there's like a chocolate branch and it goes across this jar. And in the bottom is just kind of supposed to be like kind of the earth. And then it kind of drips down the honey. I had that at the Hilton Gallery Bar and Bistro uh, when Aaron was the pastry chef there. I have a picture somewhere, I think, on a different Instagram account. I have to try and find it. But it's really good stuff. And it's a different aspect of being a chef too with the TV stuff and how all that kind of works and competing. You know, we've had a few people that have done bits and pieces on TV. You know, BJ did the documentary, tried to stay kind of in the back a little bit, I think, when we were talking about that. But and a few other people have done bits and pieces. You know, Carolina, uh, who was last week's guest, she has a, a little eater episode on their YouTube channel. I think it's like about 10 minutes long about process of making chocolate and everything. So but we've never had somebody who's been actively in kind of and on a TV network and kind of competing in the food challenges and stuff like that. Pretty interesting to kind of get that aspect and everything that goes behind it because you don't really know until you kind of do it. And even everybody, their first time being on, you know, any sort of cooking TV show, it's completely different than what they expected. We get into all that stuff and his career and all the different places that he's worked and what he's got going on now and, and everything. So it's really awesome, interesting conversation, especially focusing on kind of the pastry aspect of cooking. So you can follow him on Instagram at Aaron M. Klaus is his page there. You can also check out his website. Also follow them, all the restaurants there on Instagram too as well, at Alchemy Brands, at the Crest Gastropub, at Hoofhearted Brewery and Kitchen, and then also at themarket.iv website, AaronMKlaus.com. And we get in all that branding and stuff. He, he kind of redid all of it over COVID because he had some downtime too. So make sure to give him a follow. Also follow us on Instagram, check out past episodes of the podcast, website, spoonmod.com, all that stuff. But without further delay, here's my conversation with executive pastry chef, Aaron Klaus. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast, taking some time out of uh, your morning there. I uh, really appreciate it. Back when you were at the gallery, uh, Bar and Bistro, you had maybe your most famous dessert creations is kind of like the beehive on the branch. So that was kind of, I think, our first experience with one of your desserts. And then now you're the the pastry chef at all the A&R kind of restaurants of Hearted and the Market Italian Village and the Crest and everything. And I want to get to all that stuff too as well. But kind of start at the beginning where we do with everyone. How did you first get into cooking and, and pastry and everything? I mean, it was in your family, right? Yeah. So thanks for having me. So yeah, the, the first experience that I had uh, with pastry was 
really when I was a kid, our family, we grew up in the farm areas, uh, Northwest Ohio. A lot of what we did was like make all these cute little cookie baskets and caramel corn and candies. And that was what we did as a family to like give out to all the neighbors and everything for Christmas. So we used to do all these little tins. I mean, we're talking like (laughs) hundreds of dozens of cookies over the course of three weeks that my mom, my dad, my brother and I just like every room of the house had like a sheet pan full of cookies. Um, So that was really like that first experience, like extremely nostalgic, you know, side of it. And then my mom did some wedding cakes and stuff when I was a kid. So I always used to see her, you know, working on little wedding cakes, you know, the Wilton cake decorating courses, you know, that really like Hobby Lobby, (laughs) Joanne Fabric like style, just kind of loved it. You know, my brother was outside doing farm work with dad and I would like go pet the cows and then come inside and try to like make cookies with mom. So... (laughs) So when did you realize that that's something that you wanted to do as a career? Was it during high school? Like, did you work in any restaurants during high school or was it after? Yeah. So in high school, um, I was really focused on music. So I ended up starting school at college for music. Everything was, you know, I want to be a professional musician, teach, you know, band and choir. Like that was like, I was the music nerd. But on the side, I ended up doing graduation cakes for friends and like the class above me and stuff when they, you know, were seniors, I did graduation cakes for them. And it was always like that side hobby. Like I couldn't choose between music or pastry. Like one was the hobby, one was the career. At the beginning, I chose the opposite direction. I was like, I'm going to go to school for music and that's going to be the the passion. And I made it one semester into music school and then decided to drop out, run away to Chicago and (laughs) moved three days later and enrolled in pastry school like randomly. So (laughs) it was just like a quick change pace. <laughs> what were you doing in music school? What did you kind of go for? Was it just a certain instrument or? Yeah. So uh, music school, I went to Heidelberg University up in Tiffin, Ohio, and I went for like basically music um, literature. And so I really just wanted to study, you know, how music was made um, and like composing and, and, you know, that sort of thing. I play a lot of instruments, but like I don't sing. My friends would probably ask me to not sing. Very instrumental. Um, and I just like, you know, music theory. I'm very like nerdy about it. How did you decide on, uh, I think it was the French pastry school, right, in Chicago that you went to? How did you decide on that instead of the CIA or, or one of the other big name pastry schools? Yeah, so actually my mom, it was, let's see, my senior year of high school, I was in between college choices and was really pushing for music. They were pushing me for pastry, which was funny. You would expect them to be like, no, go get your four-year degree, like your normal stuff. And my mom surprised me with a trip out to New York and we went to the CIA um, and spent a whole weekend out there looking at the school. And I loved everything about it. Like everything was just like absolutely perfect. But then somehow just decided to like go to music school. I don't know where the choice I was like, no, no, this is the right choice. I have to do this. And so I chose music school. And then out of nowhere, it was, let's see, it was December 28th. My birthday is the 29th. And so I told my parents on the 29th, hey, like I withdrew from Heidelberg and I have an apartment lease that starts tomorrow in Chicago. And they were like, wait, like, what are you talking about? And I was like, yeah, like I'm going to go to pastry school there. And I just looked at schools. And I mean, the French pastry school, the staff that they have, like it's just full of MOFs, like masters of like pastry, world champions, like just like the list and the excellence that comes from that school was just absolutely outstanding to me. And, you know, the CIA has amazing instructors, but I also knew like a four-year degree wasn't the path I wanted to take and that I just really wanted to like dive in. Like I already wasted one semester doing nothing. So I was like, I just really want to, you know, jump in, 
started something really fun. We went to Chicago for my senior trip uh, for like high school. And um, I met two people that were at the French Pastry School at the time on the trip. And so they were just like, yeah, it's the coolest place ever. And so, you know, I just thought about it. I was like, you know what? Chicago's fun. It's not that far away. Like, it's a good choice, you know, to be close to family, but also get like a, a really amazing education. Having worked in various restaurants throughout your career, have you picked up on like what the differences were mainly between the pastry school in general versus like traditional culinary school? Was there any major differences? A lot of the fundamentals are the same. Very much like all the schools and especially pastry school. It's very, um, I want to say like very like army style, like especially pastry. Like you showed up and if you did not have like your like neck and like beard shaved and your fingernails clipped like super low, your jacket pressed, like you weren't allowed to walk in the classroom. It was very like okay, come back tomorrow. Like you, you didn't prepare yourself for class. So it was like very intense. And I was like 18. I was like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? But you know, two weeks in, you get used to it. Um, and that's what I've really recognized throughout this industry, especially the places I've worked is there's like a level of excellence. And that's what I strive, you know, to always hit like this kind of upper level of cooking. And so that's been a very big similarity between all the restaurants and like the school. And I've, you know, people I've worked with and what their school and backgrounds are. Pastry is interesting though, because it's very science and very analytical. And so a lot of times I'll meet chefs that are much more like heart and emotion forward. And like, I'm an emotional person, but I'm also like way more science-minded. So very art, very science. And so I think it's just the way that cooks and chefs versus pastry chefs, like, you know, forward themselves and promote themselves. And there is a difference in that side. And I've really just, you know, come to realize it's all about like art and science. Is it a one-year program, essentially? So they have three different programs. Um, so they have a professional cake decorating program, professional pastry, and then a professional bread. And so they're all different sections. Um, and so I ended up going through cake first. I wanted to be a cake decorator and, you know, went through the program, worked at a cake shop for three months, and then realized I hate cake pops. That's the worst thing in the world to me. And that first job I had, I had to make like 1,200 cake pops a week for like a year. And it was just like, okay, this is not... <laughs> <laughs> like what I like envisioned the the dream job being with the cake decorator. Um, and so then I was like, you know what, I should go back to the, do the pastry program and really just round out my skills and abilities, learn the bread, learn the croissants, learn plated desserts. Um, and so then I re-enrolled, went back to school for the pastry section. And then just, you know, I, I loved everything about that. So what would you say to somebody who they approached you and was like, you know, I'm really interested in getting into pastry. You know, should I go to a pastry school? Do you think I should just work in different kitchens and get experience that way, what would you recommend to somebody? It's always an interesting, interesting thing. I feel like in this culinary industry, a lot of times you can just say work in kitchens, you know, put your head down, you'll learn on site. And that's true in most positions. However, I think with pastry, it's very different because if you go into most kitchens here in Columbus, there's not many actual pastry chefs. You know, a lot of the savory chefs, they have some pastry background and they can teach you X, Y, and Z but they can't teach you the whole alphabet. So if you really want to, especially in this city, like become a pastry professional that can run a program and really create the ideas on your own, I think there is additional schooling that's needed if you want to hit that high level. Now, if you want to do cookies, cupcakes, all that, there's so many different outlets that you don't necessarily need to go to school for. But like, I mean, the internet, YouTube, there's some amazing things on there. There's some amazing chefs that, you know, share all of their work and their recipes and all that. 
But I think with, you know, the style of cooking that, you know, I want to hit and like that plate to dessert side, there's not really much of a way to learn that outside of actually going to a school. I mean, you can learn plating fundamentals, but um, it's not taught in very many restaurants because a lot of a lot of times the restaurants now are, you know, box cakes and, you know, stuff like that. So there's not tons that do plate to desserts in house. Well, plus also it depends on you need a fairly big restaurant too. Like it has to be a fairly, I mean, all your Michelin star restaurants obviously have it, but they're all in big cities and they're big restaurants where they have the space to have like a pastry department where in Columbus, it's, I feel like a lot of the kitchens are probably on the smaller side. So it's like, they don't really have that room to actually have like a whole dedicated area to kind of pastry and desserts. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, like every kitchen that I've worked at, luckily it had a pastry department or like section and you walk in and it's like a single table with a little induction burner and like a reach-in fridge and it's like here you go and it's like okay great (laughs) like that's more i've had at some places but then you know you go to these pastry schools and they have kitchens that are just thousands of square feet with like 50 tables and all the machines you want in the world and then you get out in the industry and you're like okay i have a four foot table and one cake pan and one silt hat on my sheet tray and that's like what you start with at some of these programs and you know, pastry is overlooked a lot of times in most of the cities, unless it's Chicago, LA, New York, like it's very thriving, but in some of these big cities, but yet a little smaller, like pastry is, it's overlooked in a way it still is. And it has been for years. So I'm always excited to try to bring more pastry attention to the cities. After graduating, then you kind of became the head pastry chef over at the refectory, right? Like how did all that come about? Oh, I just got out of school and then you're at the only fine dining-esque restaurant in Columbus for several years. Coming out of school, I was looking at places to move and I found the French Loaf. They were here in Grandview. Talked with them and moved over to work for them. Columbus was close to my parents' house. So I was like, this is a good situation. So I started at the French Loaf and two months in, they announced that it was going under, that they were going to file bankruptcy because they couldn't afford it. So I was like, oh, (laughs) okay, great. Like just moved and like, you know, started my like career. And then the first place I was at just like, unfortunately went under. So a friend recommended the refectory. And so I went up there and I did an interview and cooked for them. And um, they hired me on as a pastry cook and they had a pastry chef. Her name was Amy. It was what, three weeks in, Amy went into labor. She was nine months pregnant, um, went into labor and called me and said, Hey, just so you know, like, I won't be back for a few months. So like, do a great job. Like you can do this. You got this. So my first pastry role, I was really just like thrown into the ring. Um, but Chef Richard up at the refectory, I mean, he's been there for almost 30 years. He His passion is pastry. He is a savory chef, but pastry is always his go-to. I mean, there's been numerous times he's told me like, if you ever, you know, open a pastry shop, I will just come work for you and make croissants all day. And that'll be my nice little happy retirement job. Like he's just, he's such a character and like the most loving person. But anytime I would stumble, I'd be like, Hey chef, I need help with this. And he would just, I mean, he, he knew the owners of the school I went to, like they all came from France. They all came from the same region. So, I mean, it's really like, you know, in his blood, like pastry is just such like a normal thing for him. And so he was able to walk me through anything I had questions on and I actually learned a lot at the refectory, which was great because they're such a classic French, you know, restaurant. So I got to learn a lot more about the classic French side. And we learned a lot of those techniques in school, but I never got to implement them until going to the refectory. And then it was, you know, it was like, wow, okay, this is just like school. Lots of the same recipes, all the words I couldn't pronounce. Like it was perfect. All the French stuff. So do you remember what you cooked when you went for the interview? Yeah. So I ended up doing this like caramel mousse and I put goat cheese, like a goat cheese ice cream on top. And then it had um, 
sour Bing cherries, like as a jam and then Biscoff cookies. And I remember like, just kind of being like, I want to do something weird and different. And at that time, you know, first, first place out, I was like, goat cheese. That's so weird. I mean, I grew up on a farm. We had goat cheese, but like goat cheese on a dessert was just this whole taboo thing in my mind. And so I was like, wow, they're going to be amazed. This is so weird. They're never going to see this before. And he goes, okay, nice. <laughs> it was just like such a generic response. Like, okay, that's nice. And I was like, uh- Okay, great. I, I left the interview and I was like, oh, they're not going to think that I was doing anything nice. Like I was just fully prepared for like, you know, not, not even a phone call. And they called back and they're like, yeah, your techniques are great. We think that you'd be a good fit and, you know, we, you know, train you up and, and all that fun stuff. Now, did you wind up teaching at the food lab too at the same time? Yeah, so um, Kate DeJoupe, that was when it was still uh, the commissary. That whole friends group, I ended up hiring an assistant at the refectory. Her name is Vanessa, and she is best friends with Abishar from Middle West Spirits. And so at the time, Abishar started teaching classes, and then I kind of got roped into that friends group and then did some events with him around the city. And he's like, you know what, you should do some classes here too. And so I assisted them on a class, and then sure enough, um, Kate was like, you know what? You should come teach pastry classes. That'll be super fun and be part of the community. And I mean, it's really a passion of mine. I still like the education side of it. Um, eventually down the road, I want to teach at a college. That's always been the dream is to like go back to the French pastry school and become an educator. Um, so it, it's fun to see and to like work with people. I'm very much a people person. So working with people directly and getting to teach and like that hands-on energy is always really a highlight. I absolutely love it. So. And then from there, I think you went to, was it the L Brands? You wound up being a pastry chef there. What exactly does that job entail? Because I mean, I guess the only thing I could really think of is probably like corporate events and stuff like that. Is there more to it? Yeah. So L Brands was a super unexpected, interesting turn of events. So I absolutely loved everything about L Brands. The teaching side of the classes really took off. Uh, with the commissary. And so I got to the point where I was teaching classes once, if not twice a month, and then doing events with them on top of it. So my schedule just became so intense with teaching and side events that the refectory was like almost too much between everything. Like it was just so many hours and I couldn't keep up. And so L Brands was very much corporate, nine to five, Monday through Friday, you know, that kind of style. And I had never had that experience before. And, you know, weighing out my options, the pay was very similar they had a little bit more on the benefit side. So I was like, you know what, this could be a really good choice for a year just to focus on the teaching side of it and really like grow that side of my career. And at that point, I was at the refectory for two years. And so the style of food is very similar, you know, like that's a great job for someone to really get their feet wet and get started. But for longevity of a position, if you want to, you know, have that creative side, um, that role at that restaurant was very much like the similar classic French style for two years. And to change that wouldn't really fit the theme of the restaurant and fit, you know, just how that restaurant operates. Um, so I just felt like, you know, I grew in that position enough and, you know, it was time for me to kind of, you know, continue my growth path. And Richard was very, very much like not pushing me out, but was like, yeah, go do it. Like, you know, continue, continue growing. And, um, you know, still remains, you know, this day, a person that I can reach out to for any weird related question about pastry and whatnot. Um, so yeah, that was like kind of with his blessing, decided to move on and kind of take this corporate role. Um, L Brands was a beast, absolute beast. So they have the DC seven campus, which is out in Reynoldsburg. And then they have the DC like three, like Easton campus. Uh, but each of the buildings has a different brand in it. So you have a pastry team at the Easton location, a pastry team at the Reynoldsburg location, 
Then they also have New York and a flight program. And so working out of the Reynoldsburg location, we were over Bath and Body Works, Victoria's Secret and Pink. And then also the flight program that has, I mean, they they fly back and forth every day. Um, and we used to do all the meals and desserts for like the flight programs and stuff for New York. Um, so yeah, it was lots of like specialty cookies, lots of crazy different flavors of things. And a lot of like event parties that we would make something to match the new scented candle line that was coming out or, you know, kind of themed things like that. So um, it was a fun job. It was, I love the people there. The the community there is amazing. I've never made so many cookies in my life. <laughs> I mean, we're talking like 2000, 3000 cookies, like in a day that we would just sit and scoop and make the cookie dough. And I mean, it was an absolute beast. Yeah, you never really think like you see some of these big corporations and when they hire like a chef or something, you're always like, I wonder what exactly they're doing. It makes sense once you kind of learn about it and get into it where it's like, yeah, any sort of event, any sort of PR thing that there's always this other element of this giveaway component. It's pretty fascinating once you kind of get into that. From there, you went to the Hilton, right? Calorie Bar and Bistro. Yeah, so I ended up deciding to um, take like three months and travel through Europe. And um, I was in Athens, Greece, and I got a phone call and it said Bill Glover on my like on my caller ID. And I was like, wait, like, why is Bill calling me? So I answer the phone. and He's like, hey, like, good afternoon. And how are you? And I was like, I'm good. But like, I'm in bed right now. Like, what's up? And he just goes, what do you mean you're in bed? Like, you having a rough day? It's like three in the afternoon. And I'm like, no, I'm in Europe. Like, it's 10pm right now. Like, I'm fully ready to go to sleep. And he just goes, Oh, my gosh, what are you doing in Europe? I was like, I don't know, like, just decided to go on like a culinary adventure. And, you know, just kind of take a little bit of time to like, you know, explore a little bit and just, you know, broaden my horizons and, and the pastry, uh, pastry field. And so he's like, okay, great. He's like, well, when are you back? And I was like, well, I, I'm here for three more weeks. And he's like, okay, great. Well, when you come back, stop into the restaurant. I want to speak to you. Like, I would love to like bring you on staff and, you know, let's talk about it and see if there's a position for you. Um, so flew right back and sure enough, went in, talked to him and two weeks later started, um, started as the pastry chef for the Hilton. Um, so it was, it was like, just like kind of crazy experience. <laughs> flew back from Europe, landed in a cool job. And then, you know, we did a lot of, a lot of really cool things there. So. Now, yeah, with the Hilton, were you doing the restaurant, but then also any sort of event catering to whether it was weddings or whatever, did you have to do the room service component too? The Hilton's breakdown is really unique. So they have a restaurant staff um, to kind of run the day-to-day for the gallery. Then they also have a banquet and catering staff. And then the indoor room service has its own little like area of staff as well. But the pastry oversees all of those for all of pastry. So we did the bread for the restaurant, some bread for the events. We did all the plated desserts for the restaurants, all of the like events. We would do cakes. We would do plated dessert parties. I mean, really the whole nine yards, macarons, cookies, whatever. And then we had a menu also for the interim dining. So I had myself and one full-time staff member um, for all of those outlets. Um, And so that was, it was another beast of a program. I mean, really big program. um, But the nice thing with the Hilton is, you know, really anything I needed, like I would just request it be like, Hey guys, like I need this, I need this, I need this. And it would just show up and everybody was like, yeah, let's do this. You got this, like anything you need, just let us know. So, um, that was a, that was an interesting change of pace coming from, you know, family owned restaurants, then to the corporate world, like money situations are very different there. And then going to Hilton, they were funded very well. So any crazy event or idea I had, it was usually just like, okay, how do we put it on? Like, what do we need to do to like put it all together? So yeah. I loved it. (laughs) And when you were there, I I think Gallery was named one of the top 10 restaurants. I think it was like uh, by Columbus Magazine too, right? 
Yeah. So we got named as top 10 for Columbus Monthly Magazine. And uh, the best part about it, like for me, was that it was featured on the pastry side of it. So we got mentioned for the restaurant, but then there was like a whole two page article about about pastry and, you know, what we're doing there and how it's like very art. And um, I mean, that was really the first time, like for me in my career that I was like, wow, okay, like I'm doing something right, you know? The jobs I had spoke for themselves, but to be able to have my first like publication um, and like be be picked in Columbus for that um, was really a game changer for me. It, it helped me like really focus and realize like, okay, cool, pastry is is starting to make a name now in Columbus. Um, so yeah, I mean, great experience. I mean, the the writer's name, her name's Erin, and um, still keep in touch to her with her to this day. I mean, just an absolute loving person and awesome, and um, definitely is very like team pastry like cool stuff. So. <laughs> So how did you wind up from there and then eventually you wind up on the Food Network, right? You did Guy's Grocery Games. So a lot of times with the Food Network shows, they will reach out and mostly via Instagram, sometimes LinkedIn, but usually Instagram. And they'll be like, hey, like we have the show that we're casting and we think that you could be a good fit for it. Like let's schedule an interview. And it is an absolute process. I mean, it's like six interviews and then you get another Skype interview and then another phone interview. And it's just like... it's multiple months of phone calls and interviews and the waiting game. Um, so prior to grocery games, I had interviewed for uh, Christmas baking championship and spring and Halloween uh, for two years. So I had interviewed for six shows prior to, to the grocery game casting. And it's so funny because every time it's so different. I mean, I'm a very like chatty, bubbly person. Um, but those first couple of interviews, I just sat like shrunken in like super quiet, like, hi, my name's Aaron. You know, I, I, I do cakes and pastries. Like, I'm so nervous, so nervous about it. And then the one day for grocery games, I was like, you know what? Like, screw it. Like, my last six didn't work for interviews. So let's just like be obnoxiously intense and see if that gets anywhere. And so I remember they said like, hi, like, tell us your name, your age, and, you know, a little bit about you. And I just came in like super big, dramatic, waving hands and, you know, just very over the top. And they were like, oh my gosh, we love your energy. This is so fun. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) What the hell have I been doing wrong for the last like six interviews? Um, So yeah, I did three interview phone calls with them via Skype. And then um, they called and they're just like, so it's, so we're actually going to do a team oriented competition. So we need you to pick like a savory partner to bring with you to like do the savory, you do the sweet. And it's like a dual competition. And I was like thinking about Lee from Ajumama. So she actually had a pastry background and then went towards the savory direction. So I was like, well, that's good. And I have a little savory background so we could kind of complement each other if somebody needs something. And uh, we did three more interviews. I mean, my favorite interview (laughs) was the last one when we found out and we were at one of her friend's shops uh, over in Grandview and it's like a yarn and like sewing shop. And we were helping wash the store for like 20 minutes while she ran out to get her kids or something. I don't, I don't remember the exact situation. And randomly we get a text from the producer like, Hey, we need to talk to you guys right now. Like, can you get on Skype? And so there's literally just a video of us in the back of a broom closet with a, like a little like camera set up on top of like the mop. And then there's just like a whole wall of yarn behind us from like back stock. And they're just like, are you guys sitting in a room full of yarn? We're like, yes. Hi, how are you? <laughs> just like super awkward. Just act like nothing was wrong. We're just like, yeah. So like, how's it going to day just you know elephant in the room and that was the day they said okay can you guys fly out in three days like can you be in california like next week so (laughs) how did you first get onto the idea of even like going on like the food network was that recommended or was that just something one day you were just like that sounds interesting like i'd like to do that and just kind of like went through online and how to apply and all that stuff 
I watched all of those shows when I was a kid, like with family. I mean, you know, very nostalgic, like just the Halloween show and Christmas show, like just always on TV. Um, but coming from Sycamore, Ohio, it's a town of I think 800 people, maybe not even a thousand. Um, I just never experienced or had the thought that I would be able to do something like that. You know, it was never like, oh, I'm from a big city. Like I never thought that I would just have that, you know, have that ability to do it. Um, and so one day they reached out and they were like, Hey, you know, through Instagram, like we like your page, we like what you make, um, you know, are you interested in interviewing? And I was like, I don't know. Like I, it took a lot of convincing from friends. I had to ask a lot of opinions and be like, do you guys think I should do this? And, you know, I mean, the people at the commissary and, you know, that whole like Avishar, like that whole friend group was like, you should go for it. You should really try, like push yourself out of your comfort zone and, and, you know, branch out and see what happens. And sure enough, ended up getting the show. And ever since like now, I just, that's what I want to do all the time. <laughs> Anytime I get a little phone call from some random number that's unknown on my phone, I'm like, hi, like, how are you? And then it's usually a telemarketer, but there <laughs> you never know. Like I'll get random calls and they're just like, hi, we're casting for a cookie show out in Canada. Do you have an interest in coming? And I was like, okay, what kind of cookies? <laughs> like what, what what's this about? about so so yeah now that i'm in the system it like you know it's just it, it's become a hopeful like normal thing you know it's still sporadic but i absolutely love doing it yeah you're on kind of like their list now like the short list where like yeah he's been on this show so like see if he wants to do this one kind of thing before they like try and find new people exactly it's the only list i'm on that i'm not like hi can you unsubscribe me from this please <laughs> like do not call it's like the only one that i'm like looking forward to weird unknown numbers on my phone so is it super different from like what people would see on tv like is it a lot of starting stopping resetting oh we didn't get that like can you do that over kind of thing people only see like a 30 minute episode right but it's probably like a six hour shoot for that 30 minutes yeah it's really interesting like the world of tv is it's just such an interesting way of looking at it and how they organize themselves um so grocery games uh we flew out and one of my friends at the hilton actually like got online she printed out like layouts of the kitchen and like all of this stuff to like give us like you know aisle number one is this and aisle number two has this and like here's how your station looks like i've been watching episodes and i've been taking notes and like she was an absolute angel just gave us like a whole packet of information and so we felt prepared walking in but the second we got on set like completely unprepared like it's it's so daunting when you walk in and you just like i mean it looks like a normal grocery store for guys and then there's just lights and hundreds of cameras and you know just just so much going on and like you're moving quick and all this stuff um that was also when the wildfires were out in california like a couple years back and so you could actually see like the smoke as we drove to our hotel they're like yeah no it's over that ridge like we're fine it's not gonna affect our filming so it's just like so much chaotic energy from the second we got off the plane, you know, to getting on set and everything. It was just, it was intense, but um, it's interesting. So grocery games, I was expecting, you know, I watched episodes. So I was like, oh, 30 minutes. Like, there's no way that's real. Like, they have to give you an hour to do the shopping, the cooking, and the plating. But that one's tried and true. Like, it really is 30 minutes. Like, they give you the prompt, and then they say, like, they record, like, telling you the prompt. And everybody's like, okay, like, start thinking. And then they say, ready, set, go. And you start to take off, and then they pause you. Um, and then they put, like, little GoPro camera kind of things on so they can watch, like, how you run and all that. And then they, you get, like, two minutes to think about it. And then they have you stand exactly how you were and then they say go again and then you just take off and run so grocery games is interesting sometimes they would be like hey like turn you know whatever ingredient it is you know forward so we can see the label on the camera little things like that but for the most part they they didn't really interfere they just kind of say okay go do your thing like get, i mean you have like cameramen like half behind you somebody like under your leg like hey what's up like <laughs> just trying to get like interesting angles and so that's that's the interesting part you can't just run and do whatever you want you kind of have to like tell them like hey i'm going to aisle four 
before so they could make sure they were, you know, in the aisle already to like film you running down the aisle. So um, it's definitely a mind game at the same time, just because you're thinking about the camera's perspective as well as cooking. And then from there, once you get done competing for the first time, you wind up going to Mamello, right? Yeah. So um, got back. I had spent a good bit of time at the Hilton and we did like James Beard Celebrity Chef Tour. We did the Food Network stuff, like just this amazing experience. And then Mello was right next door. Um, and so we used them for a couple different ingredients and whatnot or uh, for like parties and, you know, catering and stuff. And um, she approached me and she wanted to create a pastry program. So um, they just did chocolates and coffee and stuff, but they wanted to expand and actually open another location that was very pastry focused and start really create something from the ground up. So create a whole nother branch of the company that didn't exist. Um, And so it was kind of one of those offers you can't refuse. Like you're basically being handed, like, here's the tools, here's the equipment, here's the budget, like, create what you want to create and, you know, really make it happen. So yeah, I decided to move over there and we started a pastry program. Um, we took over pastry for one line coffee, uh, mission coffee, and then canopy hotels as well on top of our own, like, you know, coffee and pastry business. So it ended up being pretty intense. I didn't realize they were doing all the pastry for those places too, as well. Uh, when they started that croissants, Danish scones, um, and all of OneLine's locations. So at the time they had um, River and Rich, they had the one on High Street, and then they had um, the other one downtown in one of the office buildings. So um, I would get in my car at you know three in the morning, drive to work, produce everything. And then 6.30, 7 a.m., I would like ship out stuff to all the different locations. And I had delivery drivers like coming to the door like, hey, like got everything we need and, you know, boxing stuff up and here's your box, here's your box. And everybody's taking it to each location. And I mean, we were, we were doing roughly like 300 scones a week, a couple hundred croissants. I mean, when it all came out, like said and done, it was like 2000 like pastries a week. And that was with me and a staff of two other people. How much of an adjustment is that? Because up till then, like you're doing pastry. So you're in the kitchen with kind of the kitchen team, you know, one of the last to be done with your station service and stuff. And then you're doing kind of stuff that's more focused for breakfast and morning. So like you have to adjust your schedule from working late nights to kind of almost working really early mornings. Like, is it big of an adjustment or is it just a few hours? So it's like you're kind of already used to it. That was the worst part of that job for me was the adjustment. And I was not a fun person to be around for like the first two months. Like friends would be like, hey, you want to go do something? I was like, what do you, what, what, why would you ask that? Like I am sleeping from 3 p.m. until midnight. Like, you know, it was just, it, it was a, a very intense adjustment. Um, I am very much a nine to five is like when my body likes to be like at work. And I've tried to adjust that so many times and just, you know, early mornings are... <laughs> They're not my thing. I even now I get up at like 7 45, 8 o'clock, and that's because my dog is sitting at the corner of the bed, just like silently, like just staring at me. And then he'll just let out a big sigh and like poke me with his paw. Like he's very like, excuse me, sir, like you need to get up now. And <laughs> I'm up by 8 30, maybe. Um, but yeah, so yeah, no switching to switching to 3 a.m., 4 a.m. shifts was was a, a seven, eight month adjustment period before I actually got used to it. And then I then I thrived and loved it. And I was like, wow, I have so much of my day left after work and, and whatnot. Think about probably a year later or so you wind up back on TV. So you go and film, I think it was like the sixth season of the Halloween baking championship. How different was that from filming guys' grocery games that you did? Yeah, I was expecting that to be a very like similar experience. But what was interesting as Guys Grocery Games is just, you know, a quick weekend flight. We fly out on a Friday, filmed on a Saturday and Sunday, and then flew back on Monday. Whereas, you know, Halloween Baking Championship 
they basically like gave us a list of everything we needed to pack. And they're like, okay, you'll be here from anywhere from seven days up to 29 days, just depending on how well you do. Um, So just even from the get go, just planning to be gone for a month was crazy. (laughs) There was a lot. Um, I think I had like four suitcases because we also had to have all of the outfits for the show plus outfits for your like day to day plus if you wanted any of your equipment to bring knife kit any of that kind of stuff um and then also like i i mean hotel life i don't want to sit in a hotel for a whole month like just hotel room so i brought artwork (laughs) to put up on my walls to make it feel like kind of homey like comfortable um just enough to like you know remind me of home and relax and you know and that sort of thing books puzzles really like anything i could do just to like keep myself busy in between sets. Um, but yeah, completely different experience. Um, that was also during COVID. So they were actually the first TV show um, in Food Network to start filming again. And so our COVID protocol was, I mean, the, the list was like 12 pages long. So we had to fly with masks, all that you know, fun stuff that's normal. But even then we had to, once we arrived on set at the hotel, uh, checked in, we went to our rooms and we had to stay in our room for seven days before we were even allowed to leave. So they would like knock on the door and then you'd have to wait 30 30 seconds and then you open the door with your mask on and there's just like a random like bag of food and then you see a person in a hazmat suit like 10 feet away like okay here's your lunch have a great day like we'll check in on you guys later <laughs> and it was just very surreal like completely different experience um and then even on set like you know just the covid protocol was was very intense um but i mean absolute blast that one was so insanely fun and i mean i loved everything about it one of the best experiences of my life by far since it was during COVID, like you couldn't leave the hotel, basically you were hotel to set. That was pretty much it, right? Yeah. I mean, we snuck out a few times the cast. They were like, so it was at a resort um, called uh, Terrania. And so it's um, just south of Los Angeles. Um, and it sits right on the beach. So like from the hotel rooms, like you could see the ocean and all of this stuff. And the resort wasn't closed down, but it was limited occupancy. And so we actually had set times that were like, hey, you guys can like go out at these times because people aren't walking around. And, you know, so there was there was tons of space, very open green space. Um, so we were allowed to like kind of venture out, but they requested like all food. We had Uber Eats in or, you know, we did all room service from the restaurant. Um, but if we were all together, we had to be like outdoors. Um, we did have our own pool, though which was kind of nice. Like they were like, yeah, like you guys use this pool. Like nobody really is at this pool. So you guys can kind of have free reign. And so, I mean, it was like given a five-star resort to like 20 of us, you know, between like direct cast and, you know, like we all had like, I guess, handlers, quote, quote, um, just like people to like kind of, you know, make sure that we were good and, you know, stayed with us and stuff. But uh, yeah, COVID protocols were interesting. We didn't really see much. We didn't get to really see any of the city, but I mean, we're at a five-star resort the whole time. So that was like pretty nice. We just were like, oh, it's an off day. Let's just go lay out, you know, by the beach and do absolutely nothing. And there's not even a soul around to bother you. So that was pretty cool. Were you allowed to tell people where you were going or was it just, hey, I have to, I might be gone for a month? So it was very like, you know, kind of like smiling and winking at like my boss at the time, like, hey, like I need to leave for a month. There's something that came up, you know? And so it was just one of those, like, you're not supposed to tell, you know, it's very hush hush. Um, But I did send at least, you know, enough information to the people that I need to, to like one, not get fired and two, like if there was a horrific accident, my family would know where to find me. Even my family, I tried to keep it a secret to them as much as possible. And I was just like, hey, guys, like, I'm going to be in California and, you know, taking this trip. And my mom is instantly like, oh, what TV show is it? How long are you going to be there? I'm like, mom, I didn't say it's a TV show. It's it's work related. And she just goes, I'm looking up what TV show is filmed in California. I was like, well, mom, all of them 
this film in New York or California. So like, you can have a list. And sure enough, she's just like, hmm. She's like, okay, well, right now it's June. So that means that it has to be Christmas because six months of editing. It's like, it was like full on detectives case over there. She was like trying to figure out everything and ended up having to break down after one of the episodes. I was like, mom, it's Halloween, okay? Did you watch any of the previous seasons of that show? Like you mentioned with your friend who kind of put all that information together for guys' grocery games. Did you kind of go back and look at it and just try and figure out like from like competitive standpoint, all right, what's going on here? Like really kind of analyze it instead of just watching it for entertainment. This one was so funny. So the cast still makes fun of me because like I had seen that show when I was a kid, right? Like first and second season. And, you know, you see little clips and stuff online or commercials and stuff. And the first week I was like, you know, like waiting to meet some of the cast members. Like I had, one of my flights was with somebody else. And so like we talked and chatted and we started to all find each other on Instagram and, and whatnot. And we're like, oh, so like, what are you doing this week? How are you staying busy during our seven day, you know, quarantine process? And every single one was, I'm rewatching every single episode of every single season so I can learn where everything's at in the kitchen. And I was like, wait, really? And they just made fun of me because I was like, oh, like, I'm catching up on RuPaul's Drag Race and Gossip Girl and all these other TV shows. I'm like, aren't you going to watch it? And I was like, no, because I will psych myself out. That is seven days of pure torture for me to be like, okay, like, what if the sets changed? I just wasted seven days like researching the set, even though it could have been completely different. Um, so, I mean, grocery games, I did do that. I, I really researched everything and like, you know, went through my packet of information and like studied every aisle what grocery ingredients were in which one. And I think that ended up being part of my downfall because. It was so much time spent on that and not enough time just like enjoying the moment. You know, grocery games went by in a flash, um, but also I don't remember 90% of what happened. It, it was just very like, you know, in a blink of an eye. And then it was like, okay, cool. We got a second. This is awesome. But like, I didn't get to really enjoy the experience in the same way. So going into Halloween, I was just very much like, I want to get to know the cast and the contestants and just, you know, have fun with it and just, you know, let it be truly about like my skills and experience and not have like a leg up or an advantage of any other sort other than I'm doing well because I like, you know, I'm doing well because I've studied over the past how many years my recipes and, and stuff like that. So it really went from, should I study too much or, you know, just enjoy the experience and just live in the moment. And that's what I decided to do. And I think that's probably why I had so much fun. Is it more competitive or more collaborative? Cause like there's different shows, Top Chef, for example, like certain seasons seem to be more like everybody's kind of friends and gets along and but then there's also some seasons where there's a handful of people that are like taking it really serious from like a competitive standpoint. Did it lean either way on your season? So ours was definitely like very friendly. Everybody from day one, I mean, we all arrived at the hotel, we started to find each other. And I think because we all had that like experience of having to sit in the rooms during COVID and like, it, it just kind of changed the perspective. It wasn't like, in, you know, we, we arrive on a Monday, we start filming on Wednesday. It's like super intense and super fast paced. So for us, it was lucky. We were lucky that it was a little more laid back. We had like seven days to kind of relax and just enjoy being there. And so I think because of that, we were all just very like, oh, cool. Like, this is so fun. We're having a blast. Like, this is a good time. And also with COVID, you know, we were all stuck in our houses for how many months? So that was our first experience for a lot of us to get out of the state or even out of like our city. So I think it was just, it was very team oriented. Everybody was very much like, you know, I'm here to win for myself. I'm not here to like backstab or be rude to people. It was all like, I just want to do well. Like I'm proving this for myself that I still have my skills and that I can do this. And, you know, everybody was very supportive of each other after somebody was voted 
it out. They do the little exit interview. And then that night we're like, okay, like you pick the restaurant that we're going to order food from. And we would do family dinner like every evening after eliminations and, you know, and, you know, just get to know that person and be like, okay, like, you know, we're sorry that you only made it three episodes, but like, what city are you in? Like, like we're going to come visit you. And so, I mean, that was a really cool experience. Guys grocery games was cutthroat. We got in that trailer and everybody was like, I'm going to win. I'm going to beat you up, you know, kind of thing. But then, you know, Halloween, everybody's just like, wow, like, this is so cool. Like, it's so like, just fun and just fun energy. Was there one dessert that you're most proud of? Was there one that you wish you could do over again? Because you made it all the way to the final episode, right? I think you finished like third. It's so weird. We still debate on it because <laughs> Renee won the most amount of main challenges and then I won the second most, but then I also won a mini challenge. So I was like, we both won three challenges technically. And like, I pick on her all the time because her, her and Michelle and I, we still talk daily. Like we have a text message chain and it's just like all day, every day, sending stuff back and forth. And so we keep picking on each other. We're like, mm, did you actually win? Like, no, like it, it's even. We tied for a second. We always try to like, you know, argue about it. Um, but it's so funny because my I think my favorite was probably like the the macaron. It had so it, the theme was like devil, but then we also had all these like horrid ingredients to use. So I had to use sauerkraut and do something that was not cake, but also theme like the devil and use Fresno chilies. So I was like, well, this is absolutely terrible. Like I fully expected to go home once I knew like what the challenge was. And and somehow pulled out a win on that episode. So like that one has been probably the most fun episode, most fun that I made from it, just because, you know, it was weird ingredients. That's always my go-to. I like to do weird things and like, you know, play with savory ingredients and kind of trick people. So that would definitely be like the favorite. I had people calling and asking if they could order, order them for like months (laughs) after the show. So like even this year, I'm already trying to plan like, okay, maybe I should record how to make that and like teach it and post it on Instagram. Like, you know, this year during Halloween, just because it went so well. Um, what I would redo is probably my weird little demon cake thing. <laughs> that was, oh, I guess still terrible. Um, yeah, yeah. Everybody went really cute doll, but like the challenge said demon doll. And so I just like very focused on demon. I wanted like this creepy, like I was going very for like, you know, creepy killer clown vibe that like cut his like, you know, cut people up and sewed his head together, like skin suit thing. And then they told me in the middle of the episode, like, it's a little dark. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, it's too late to fix it. Like it's already, I mean, already got like eyes and like sewn together skin markings and crap. So yeah, everybody else went much more cute. And so in the end, mine looked like completely demonic compared to everybody else's and too scary. But in past seasons, they went a lot darker. Our our season overall was much more like cute, creative Halloween desserts, whereas in the past, there was so much more like bloody gory and so you know everything else i did up to that point to that episode was pretty well like cute or creative so i just wanted to show something completely completely off kilter different and be like okay you guys said i'm too polished so here's a creepy demon head that has skin flaps made of fondant floating everywhere (laughs) so i'd probably remake it but not much different knowing what you know about the show before you go on and trying not to psych yourself out like you mentioned Do you still have a mental almost like Rolodex of like stuff that you're like, all right, if they kind of get in this lane, I could do this dish, I could do this dish, I could do go here. Or do you just go, 
I'm just going to wait until they tell me like what ingredients we're using and then I'll try and figure it out after. Yeah. So I kind of have like my like base recipes. I always have the same chocolate cake recipe I've used for years. You know, it's like a lot of those things I already know. So I'm like, okay, if it's a chocolate themed challenge, I already know I can do this flavor cake and like, you know, add whatever random ingredient they tell me to the buttercream. So I kind of have like that library, I guess like that base library of where to pull information from already. But what's hard is like in previous seasons, the challenges were way less cake oriented so like they had maybe one cake challenge during like the main part of the season and then the finale is always some big like gingerbread house or cake or something like you know structure kind of crazy but for our season every challenge except for two were cake oriented and so we had so many cake decorators and that's like i hadn't done cakes for years i went to school for cake and then stopped doing it like <laughs> a few wedding cakes here and there basically when i was told i had to do a cake and then focus on plated desserts which is why i thought i was going to excel in the competition because traditionally that show is very like cute little mini pastries and plated dessert heavy that's halloween um and so for it to be cake that was a turn of events that i was not prepared for at all i mean i was in there like wait okay hold on how do i stack this cake and make this structurally like sound and stable and so yeah that was that was a, a whole like relearning experience almost i mean some of these like contestants like renee she can bake off i don't know 30 sheet cakes in like two hours and i'm sitting there like okay like 45 minutes in, like have like this little tiny like six, six inch baby cake and i'm like how is everybody making so many layers of cake like i just not my thing <laughs> every single cake i had on that show was like short i don't know if it was when you came back you wound up becoming the executive pastry chef at proper garden bakery cafe or was that before you left so that was when i came back um so mellow unfortunately they had moved to another location so they got rid of their downtown location um and then one line created their river and rich location and had a bakery inside that um so then they no longer needed pastries either so between that it really cut down what we needed to do um and then you know mellow moved to the north side and just kind of everything changed with them pretty pretty quickly it was like i kind of came back to like okay (laughs) complete difference like you know things are just like kind of getting crazy um and then with covid and everything at the same time it was just like everything shut down so um it shut down pretty intensely i mean most of my friends that are in the industry were like okay like i'm for loads like i'm just at home now and i'm not good to just sit at home and do nothing. So I contacted them. I had a friend that had worked there years ago. And so they were just like, Hey, like, you know, do you want to come up here and work? Like, you know, you can just do it, like carry out, have fun with the menus. Then, um, you know, garden centers were considered essential businesses. Um, and so there was a couple of days I got to help plant stuff in the garden and just kind of like make little food in there. Like they have like a little eight seat restaurant. Um, so just, you know, had fun with it. Nothing super crazy. And the intention was very like, you know, I just wanted something to do to not be at home during COVID just sitting there, like, you know, watching TV and movies. I just, I don't know. I can't sit still like that. When everything kind of went on lockdown too, like you for a time weren't kind of working or, or were doing kind of, you know, this and stuff. So what else were you able to do? Like, cause you're, like you said, not somebody who wants to like sit still. So what else did you do at your time? Yeah. So outside of the garden center, I started really focusing on like website development um, and trying to think about like media plans and just kind of how to create a brand out of all the like TV stuff. So prior to the, to the Halloween show, like I had a good Instagram like following and like kind of had worked on that, but I was like, you know what, it's time to kind of take it more seriously. I've never been like the social media person, you know, like I've been lucky enough that people like the pastries that I put out and follow because of that. And so that's been a blessing for me. And I was like, you know, what? I should really take it more seriously. So, um, I created a website and I paid one of my friends to do it because I <laughs> tried to do 
through it and it was horrible just absolutely horrible like you clicked on a button and it took you to some other complete person's website like i have no idea coding any of that um and then even then they like made it and they're like yeah cool i still had access to edit it and i went in and 10 minutes later i was like i was calling like hey i actually messed up the website like i don't know how to how to fix it and he got on there and he's like how did you destroy like hours of work in the matter of minutes i was like i don't know so i just i <laughs> i pay for that now i don't i don't do it but um so yeah got our website up and then um i really focused on working on a chocolate line um to kind of like supply you know some of my future endeavors and goals um so i created a chocolate line and did all like little photoshop stuff for like logos and you know and and created that and then just really focused on you know when this show actually launches you know what can i do to like promote it and to have like a little watch party and kind of turn it into more of a thing um to kind of just you know propel the career and continue to focus on like future dreams how did the opportunity with A&R come about to be their pastry chef? It's been years, years in the works. Um, so I had met um, Abed. Uh, he's one of the owners. Uh, let's see, back in 2018. And uh, he had called me and, you know, it's just like, yeah, like, you know, we might like be interested in doing some consulting for some plated desserts, you know, whatever. And so we got coffee a few times and just became friends and, you know, really started to talk to them about, you know, what, what my future looks like. Um, and they had this intention of opening a bakery at the time. And they're like, you know what, like, let's talk about this bakery and like, let's put your name down and see, you know, where we can take this and, and whatnot. So I've known them for about three years and, you know, at, at that time there wasn't a position. So it was just, you know, really making that connection. And then we just continue to check in with each other, you know, little messages here and there. And, um, I mean, the one time he's just like, Hey, I saw that you got, you know, this TV show, like, that's really cool. Like, congrats. Like I'm watching it with the kids and, and whatnot. And that was for the, for the Halloween show. Um, I was like, thank you so much. You know, that's, uh, that's awesome. Like, I'm, I'm happy that you like, you know, followed up and you watch the kids and stuff. And he's like, so what are you doing nowadays? And I was like, Oh, I'm like planting plants and making risotto at a garden center, <laughs> you know, just like staying busy, you know, nothing crazy doing some chocolates on the side. Um, and then he's like, really? Like what? I mean, with all COVID stuff, I was like, yeah, like it's just, you know, nothing's the whole world is in disarray. So, you know, most people are just finding whatever means they can to make things happen and, you know, continue with their lives. And, and so he's like, well, why don't you come in? Like, let's get coffee and let's chat about it. And so I came on board then as a consultant for Alchemy um, and really just helped with, you know, creating more of a pastry line for them and, you know, expanding their business. And a couple months into doing that, then he just goes, well, like, you really like plate desserts. Like, do you want to like help out with the restaurants? Because we just reopened all of the restaurants um, pretty close in time to each other. And so he's like, you know what, like go over to the crest and you can help them get situated and, you know, create some new pastries for them. And then we did that and then did that for Hoof Hearted and then moved on to the market. And so as we reopened all the businesses, uh, my role just kind of has expanded to creating the plate desserts for all the restaurants and, and whatnot. So yeah, it's, it just turned into, you know, an unexpected career growth path and absolutely love it. I mean, plated desserts and croissants are like my two favorite things. So now that I get to do like plated desserts, you know, at multiple restaurants and really connect with all of the staffs at all the different places, like that's been really a nice blessing to like grow a program and, um, you know, take the company on a di different direction. You know, they had pastry cooks and positions before, like at each individual restaurant, um, but they haven't had a role that has been over all of the restaurants. So uh, it, it's fun. It's fun to create something new and can see, see a program growing. And um, I just hired a staff member that starts, you know, in a couple of weeks. And so I'm like, okay, great. Like we're actually growing the business and growing the program. And that's always, you know, always the dream. I always just want to grow a program and have like this big pastry program that is really like, you look at it and those are the restaurants you go to for cool plated desserts in the city. 
Since you're over kind of all those restaurants, like when you're going through your creative process, do you create the dessert first and then figure out which restaurant it's going to fit at? Or do you kind of go, all right, I need to create something new for the market. Like what's their menu look like and kind of get something that's in line with like their theme. The creative process is very interesting for that. I really focus on the restaurant and the style of the restaurant and then tailor something to be for them. So, you know, the the, the crest is very like green, very sustainable, plant heavy, plant forward. And so thinking about desserts, I definitely want something that's very nature oriented and sustainable and has that kind of feeling that's approachable yet very interesting to look at. Then you look at the market, the fine dining option, definitely more of an interesting play on flavors and, you know, deconstructed plating and, and whatnot. And then you have hoof, which is just like the super fun party <laughs> kind of location. And so that's much more playful, like, you know, playful, approachable, but also nostalgic flavors, Nutella, like puppy chow, Jack's mix, cheesecake bites, you know, stuff like that. That's, you know, fits that clientele a little bit more. Um, so that's, that's been a really fun challenge in this, you know, in this job is just making sure that each place is tailored and has desserts tailored to fit their style and their clientele base. Um, but also that's really rewarding for me because then that continues to like push me to think differently and, you know, have multiple creative boxes kind of open with, with new ideas. And, you know, I'll come up with a new idea now and be like, no, it's not for the market. Like I thought it would be, and now it's going to go to the crest instead because it's more, you know, themed after nature. And so it's been a fun, fun creative journey. Um, and I'm still learning, <laughs> still learning, you know, all of these models and the brands. So. Where do you pull inspiration from? Do you just kind of go through cookbooks or is some of it like Instagram stuff that you see online, or is it just kind of messing around with different flavors and ingredients? Yeah, a lot of the inspiration, um, there's a couple of chefs that I always look at just to kind of see what they're doing in the world. Um, Amari Gushan is one of them. He is like the pastry king when it comes to chocolate and very creative out of the box desserts. Uh, I really like his work. And then actually there's a girl named Karen Martinez. Um, so she is from Columbus. She actually worked at the Hilton and then moved to San Francisco. And she, I, I went to San Francisco multiple times to like spend weekends working for her just to like, you know, further my experience and training. And she is one of the most creative and out of the box thinkers I've ever met. And so I'll call her with some crazy idea and be like, Hey, I want to do goat cheese and Greek yogurt and plums and tomato in a dessert. And this is what I'm thinking. And I'm like, I think I'm missing something. And she's like, one second. And then she'll like sit there and think, and be like, tarragon, you should throw tarragon on that. That'd be the perfect thing. So, you know, it's, it's really like, it's nice having those connections because I can come up with like 95% of some weird, crazy idea and then call a friend and they go, Ooh, that's weird. And I'm like too weird. Like I, I definitely want to push the boundary. I want to push like that level with it being approachable and different, but not being like, you know, off putting. <laughs> so yeah, I have a few chefs I look up to. And then, I mean, Instagram has been a huge help just because, you know, you see all these beautiful plated things and you're like, wow, I never thought about a monochromatic dessert. Like that'd be fun to do something that's all green. And, you know, so like kind of just get those, those thoughts flowing. Um, also the, the company A&R, we have some really creative chefs around all the restaurants. And so it's really fun to talk to them and be like, okay, what are five weird flavors that you could put together and like create something interesting out of, and you get some really interesting flavors from these savory chefs that, you know, I've never used in so it's fun to throw ideas back and forth with them and kind of like, you know, no, I don't like that. Yes, I like that. Ooh, that'd be something weird and interesting. And you end up coming up with some weird, weird combinations of flavors that, you know, really work well. Where do you think the food scene in Columbus is headed for the next five years, rest of the decade, kind of based on how you've seen it go so far since you've been involved and then kind of with COVID and everything too as well? Like, where do you think it's headed? 
Yeah, I think with COVID, it gave a lot of the restaurant owners and chefs around the city time to really think about their path and their career and how they want their restaurants to operate. And so I think we're going to be in a huge period of growth coming up. I mean, the city is already growing. There's a lot of new restaurants, a lot of new concepts, but also these chefs have now had time to like, you know, think about their career, think about what they've been making, what they want to make. Are they really following your passions? And I think a lot of people just in general from COVID have sat at home and now they're like, oh, wow, like I hate doing this or I hate doing this and I love this. And so I think people are much more like focused on what they really want to do, following their passions and really not being afraid to like reach out for it. So I think with all that, like we're hitting a period of growth where there's going to be a lot of new restaurants in the city, lots of new concepts, lots of new ideas, but also like the media attention is now shifting its focus. You know, Columbus in itself is growing like exponentially. And so we're in a period of growth in the city, which is going to bring more people in. It's going to bring more visitors in. And I think it's going to just kind of help spread the word of some of these restaurants that have been here for 10 years that are, you know, doing really cool things. And and now it's, it's just really promoting that growth. So I don't know. I think, I think a lot of cool things are going to be coming in the next five years, 10 years. And Columbus is going to be even more on the map for food. I mean, we're on the map, but we're like a small dot. Like we have some amazing, amazing places. And I think, you know, when you rival us up against Chicago, like (laughs) it's such a massive city, but I know a lot of our chefs could really thrive in that environment. So I think it's just the challenge of getting the media to pay attention to like little old Ohio and you know, oh, like there's a city in the middle of all these cornfields. Like, you know, people just like assume that there's not much here. Like I have friends in California that'll be like, wait, so where is Columbus at? I'm like, you guys realize it's like top 15 biggest cities. So like it's, it's huge. And they're like, oh yeah, okay, sure. And it's just so funny to me that, you know, people's assumption of Ohio, Ohio is steak, potatoes and cornfields. But, you know, Columbus is so much more than that. We have so many great, amazing, like savory chefs. You know, the pastry scene is really changing, you know, the last like 10 years. You know, I think it's, I think it's in a period of growth and just getting the media to pay more attention to it and really push for that to happen. You know, that's, that's, that's the hard part is pushing for the media to pay more attention, but once they will, and they start to, you know, and I'm talking like national media, like, you know, Columbus media has been great with all of our restaurants, but you know, just growing that national, that national media attention for the city. So did you ever consider leaving Columbus at all to cook in a different city? Yeah, I have a few times. Um, you know, I, I went to school in Chicago, loved everything about it and have had opportunities if I wanted to go back, you know, I, I'm still connected there with some people. So if I really wanted to, I could probably make a few calls and connections and and, and find a way back there if I wanted to. Um, same with San Francisco. I still have a, a good following of, you know, friends there and connections. So like the option has always been there. Uh, I don't think I'm ready to leave the city. Every time I'm like, you know what, maybe it's time. Then like a new fun, cool job opens up and they're like, this is what we want to do. We want to reach for the stars. And I'm like, okay, Okay, cool. Like, let's continue to grow. And I think what is interesting about Columbus is that there is still so much opportunity for growth within the pastry community. And I like, I feel, I don't know why I feel responsible. I feel like responsible for helping to push that along. You know, I, w- I want to continue to push, you know, the pastry community here to think outside of the box. And I think if you start to put out weird, interesting things, it's going to change the perception of what dessert is in the city. And if I can get enough people to try some of these different things, now they're not going to just think of cookies and cupcakes as dessert at a restaurant, but they're going to start to think about some of these other things that are very normal in Chicago and New York. So, you know, that's always been a goal. And then the other goal, I've always wanted to focus on James Beard. I mean, that's a very lofty goal, especially coming in the city and stuff. And we're, you know, Columbus got some James Beard attention in the last few years and has really started to like kind of reach for that. But I've always wanted to bring a James Beard, you know, nomination or award home for like pastry or pastry chefs for Great Lakes. And so, you know, I think it would be easier to do that in Chicago, you know, 
uh, the restaurants, you know, have that experience and you just do a couple cool desserts, you know, and do a good job there. Like it's, it's easier to get recognized for that. But I think that's part of the challenge of Columbus that I, that I enjoy. It's like, I want to be the one in Columbus to bring home like that pastry chef, James Beard. I want to be like the one that really pushed the scene. And so that's always been a striving, like, uh, like a pushing factor in my life. I want to like, I want to change the pastry scene here and just continue to make people slightly uncomfortable by trying new things until they're like, Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know about this. And then they try it and they love it. Now, you know, that person's just the, the mindset's different. So if I can push that along and help the city grow for pastry, then that's what I want to do. What's next for you professionally as a pastry chef? I mean, any thoughts on opening your own kind of pastry shop one day? Or I know you mentioned you looking to kind of eventually get back into education too as well. But I mean, you got a lot of different stuff that you want to do. So is there anything on, I guess, like the immediate horizon that you're looking towards? Yeah. So right now I'm definitely going to like buckle down with a I mean, we have some, some cool opportunities and this company is growing and changing and, you know, adapting to the world. So I think there's a lot of cool opportunities within that just to, you know, continue that pastry growth. And now that I have three plate of dessert restaurants to like, you know, put weird things out and try to, you know, kind of work on that. It really helps with that career trajectory and path of, you know, growing my brand as well as pushing the pastry scene forward, that James Beard mindset. So it'll allow me to push forward with that. But then also, you know, I want to start like a YouTube channel. (laughs) I know that sounds like cheesy and fun and boring. But also cool. Um, but I definitely want to start kind of, you know, the educational side because I think there's multiple parts towards pushing the pastry development in a city. One is to put out cool things that people will try and change their mindsets. Another way to do it is also then to show people how to do some of those things so they might start to implement them at their own restaurants or you know, home bakers, like, you know, they want to try something different and they make something that they see online and their friends try it. And so I think there's multiple ways to grow that community. And so I think, you know, doing the plate of desserts at the restaurants and really pushing that boundary and then separately, you know, doing like a YouTube or some type of like, you know, cooking how-to series or something along that lines to just bring a little more thought and media attention to that. I mean, I would love to eventually expand it into actually going to different pastry places or like a dessert plate of dessert view type of thing around the city where it's like collaborations and you know going out and just really like repping the community and going to all these different bakeries and be like okay what's your favorite thing that you make here you know meet the chefs and and all of that um i've been blessed with my opportunities with media here in columbus and so there's some amazing chefs in columbus for pastry that have been there 10 years and nobody knows or doesn't know the name behind you know behind like the baked goods and the croissants and the scones and the danishes and, you know, plated desserts. And so I think part of growing that community is to also get those other people's names out there, you know, because then it's like, oh, cool. Like now we went from like three or four that people know to like 12 people. And so it just kind of grows that mindset. This question comes from chocolatier Carolina Quijano. She is the owner and founder of Esquisito Chocolates down in Miami. She's the previous guest on the podcast before you. She left behind a question for you. If you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? That's a good one. Okay, so for maybe five months after Grocery Games came out, I was an asshole. (laughs) So, like... It's so easy to get wrapped up in that media attention. It really is because you're just like, wow, this is so cool. And being, what was I? I was 23, 24, something in there. At the time, I thought I was just the coolest little person ever. And so I had like a little attitude. And one of my friends checked me one day and just checked me hard. And I won't name names, but she competed with me on the show. 
<laughs> was very like, okay, sweetheart, like, you know, just remember you're still young. You know, it's a small city. You know, it was, she was very sweet about it. And ever since then, I was like, okay, yeah, no, that's right. Like, you know, the media side is a blessing and it's not, I was just lucky. I was lucky that that interview, they liked my personality and that, you know, it was a good fit for that show. But I mean, there's some people that interview for years and never get a show that are much more deserving, you know, and stuff like that. So um, just to stay humble. And I, I tell my friends that all the time. I'm like, if I ever get to a point where I'm like acting like, you know, a little queen diva over here, like about some, some opportunity or whatever, like, please check me because, you know, it, it, it's cool and it's easy to get caught up in that moment and be like wow this is so exciting look at this but at the same time like the bigger picture is you know the growth of the city and the growth of pastry in the city is my is my goal so i always want to bring it back to that and be like wow this is a great opportunity thank you guys for you know featuring this dessert blah 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 blah. like i'm excited to like help columbus you know pastry scene get more recognized so just yeah being more humble, staying humble, and then, you know, recognizing the team and, you know, the people that have supported me to get to where I'm at. Because without them, I would still be, you know, some corporate job, making cookies all day, you know, not like pushing to do more. What's a question you want to leave behind for the next guest? Can be anything. Oh, <laughs> I'm huge into art. So I guess my question would be for the next guest, like, is there a specific chef or artist that has really changed your like plating style or how you decorate, you know, whatever product it is, sweet, savory, but like, yeah, very much like, you know, is there a chef or artist that you look for, for inspiration and how have they like inspired you to change your style? So we got a few more questions for you. We ask these to everybody who comes on the podcast, so a little compare and contrast across all the episodes. Who would you say is the biggest influence on your career thus far? Um, definitely my mom. She She's kind of started me, you know, on this career path and trajectory and uh, definitely one of those parents that was just always like, you know, you can do whatever you put your mind to. Just go for it. You know, always supportive and yeah, definitely a driving factor. What's the one kitchen item that's not a knife that you can't live without? Blowtorch. <laughs> Blowtorch is the absolute best thing in the world for pastry. Buttercream, meringues, any of that stuff. Also, I have one in my car. Like, th- there's always a blowtorch. I have one. At, I bought one for each restaurant, and then there's one that's my car blowtorch. So, doesn't matter where I'm at, cutting a frozen cake, like anything, blowtorches, hands down, best thing. <laughs> What's one restaurant that you'd recommend that isn't your own? The scenario I usually give is person got uh, stuck at the airport delayed overnight they reach out to you hey you know where should i go eat the places that you work at not open you would send them here commune i'm obsessed with commune they have this crispy rice cake that i've gotten every time i go in and i i just i can't stop (laughs) i'm obsessed with it bucket list travel destination bucket list restaurant is there any place that you want to go you haven't been to I want to go to Ever in Chicago. That's always been been a high up there. I mean, I just it, it's it's outstanding. I mean, the team there is amazing. I just that's always been one that I'm really impressed with. Um, bucket list travel destination. Uh, I really want to go to Singapore. That's always been like so high on my list. I've gotten to travel, but never to like Southeast Asia, like that area. And I don't know why. I think it's so fun. There's Michelin star restaurants that are like everywhere. Food stalls, like little like taco trucks, stuff like that. You know that style, and like they have Michelin stars and just. So I think that'd be a really fun experience. Yeah, Singapore is awesome. And it's a good, if you've never been to Asia, Southeast Asia, it's a good dip in your foot kind of. Their main language is English too. So it's easy to get around, public transportation, everything's kind of modern too as well. But yeah, like you said, they have the Michelin Guide there, a bunch of different hawker stalls where you get these great dishes for like three bucks. Like it costs 70%, 70 cents on the dollar for the US. So it's, I've been there. It's a lot of fun. 
craziest thing you've ever seen happen in a restaurant while you were working? I saw somebody cut their thumb off once. Not the whole thumb, but like a good portion of it. Were they able to sew it back on or? Yeah, that stuff doesn't really bother me. It sounds so dark. Um, but, you know, everybody's screaming and freaking out. I'm like, oh, my God, what, what what do we do? What do we do? Somebody like ran and grabbed ice. And I just like walked over, put on gloves, picked up the thumb, put it in a bag with a bag of ice. And I was like, OK, here you go. Take this with you. <laughs> like, get it reattached. Like, very just nonchalant. My parents both were EMS firefighters, like, as their like volunteer job. So, like, I don't know. I always heard stuff like that. So it was always like, oh, OK, yeah, cool. Here you go. Here's the thumb. <laughs> Try to get reattached. Food or drink guilty pleasure? Is there anything that, whether it's in the grocery store, you kind of try and avoid the aisle because you know this thing's down there or fast food or anything that, that you're just like, I know this isn't great for me, but I just can't help it? Yeah, ice cream. Ice cream is, uh, yeah. <laughs> I literally got up last night at like 9.45 and just went to Target and bought a little thin of Jenny's ice cream because I just, I mean, I probably have like five, if not six types of ice cream in my freezer at any given point. Some may still have a spoon in it just, you know, for ease of like, you know, just take the little container out, spoons in there, it's ready to go. I can walk through the park with my dog and eat ice cream. You know, people stare, that's fine. Favorite dish, favorite thing you've ever cooked, created, kind of the thing that you can point back to in your career that was kind of like the aha moment where everything kind of came together and you're like, yeah, I could definitely do this professionally. Yeah, I think the it's, I've changed the name twice now, but the bee's knees, um, it's this honey dessert. Um, I started with it at the Hilton and had an idea and like, you know, put it out there. People loved it, um, but then revisited it this year and put it back you know, into my like circulation um, and brought it to the crest and just gave it more attention. You know, first time around, I loved it. But now I was like, okay, like, how do we upgrade it and bring it to this new level? Um, And so that one's been extremely fun. Um, It blew up on Instagram this year and got shared over multiple like national accounts and international pages and a magazine. And so that's been like, like every time I think like I've, I've hit that stride in my career, something new happens where I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, I, I need to push harder. I need to continue more. So that's definitely been really a good factor this year, a good push. I'm an Anthony Bourdain fan, but not everybody is. If you were, is there an episode moment scene that kind of stands out to you the most? If you weren't, was there a culinary kind of influencer, somebody who's on TV that kind of when you were coming up, you really gravitated towards that was kind of your person? I love Anthony Bourdain. There was another person that I was always obsessed with. Do you know Samantha Brown? Yeah, yeah. So she was huge, like on the travel side of, you know, of her career. So she was travel channel, but I've always been obsessed with her ever since I was a kid. So like most kids watch like Hercules and Aladdin and stuff. And like, I would always ask mom to put on Samantha Brown and I just sit there and watch while she strolled through the countryside eating, you know, whatever random food. But I always liked her because like travel and culture and food are such like a happy language mix for me. And so I think that was always like something I was obsessed with. You know, she went through Europe. She went through like Southeast Asia, like a little bit of everywhere. Um, And I just always liked her like cool, calm demeanor and personality and just how she walked about things and described things. And yeah, so. Where can people find you? Social media, website, plug, all your stuff. So I just changed everything recently to Aaron M. Klaus. It's A-A-R-O-N-M-C-L-O-U-S-E. So Instagram, Facebook, um, website, everything is, everything's the same now. You know, we've had some of your desserts at the market since it reopened. I'm a sucker for creme brulee, so you can never really go wrong with that with me. We've had the the bee's knees back when it was at the Hilton too as well. So we've always enjoyed your stuff. And it's cool to see somebody kind of represent Columbus. You know, Avishar just did recently with the Top Chef, but you kind of beat him to it. And, and other people have done some stuff, but you're 
kind of in that lane where, you know, Michael Simon up in Cleveland, you know, he kind of blew up and then now he's kind of like a mainstay on, on Food Network too. So it, there's a lot of similarities between kind of where you're at and what you're doing and, and what he did too. So it's cool to watch somebody from Columbus, you know, who's worked here for years and years and, and kind of get to that level. And it'll be awesome to see kind of what comes next for you and everything. Yeah, really appreciate you coming on. Definitely stay in touch. I mean, we we'll look forward to all the new desserts that you're going to be rolling out throughout all those different restaurants and everything too as well. So, but yeah, I can't thank you enough for coming on and, and open invitation anytime, you know, you got something new you want to plug or whatever. It doesn't always have to be, you know, an hour or whatever, 10, 15 minutes. Happy to help and support, you know, anybody that comes on the podcast any way that we can too as well. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. This is my first podcast I've ever gotten to do. So I was like, oh, this is cool. Whenever you get some of those questions like that you always get, you're like, yeah, just go listen to the podcast. I don't have to answer that right now. But no, appreciate your time. Stay in touch. And uh, we'll talk soon. Awesome. Sounds great. Thank you. A big thanks again to Chef Aaron Klaus for coming on the podcast, uh, hanging out with me for an hour, hour and a half uh, over Zoom and everything and talking about his career. Super interesting to just get the whole kind of behind the scenes aspect of different culinary shows and stuff like that and how all that kind of works with Food Network too. So make sure to follow him on Instagram at Aaron M. Klaus. Website also, same name, AaronMKlaus.com. He's over at Alchemy Brands, so you can find his desserts at the Crest Gastropub, Hoofhearted Brewing Kitchen downtown, and also at the Market Italian Village. You can follow all those places on Instagram too as well. Make sure to follow us on Instagram. Check out past episodes of the podcast. Chefs and guests come out on Thursdays. You know, we had a chocolatier and owner of Esquisito Chocolates, Carolina Quiano, last week. Chris Dillman, sommelier, before that, the week before. So check out all the past episodes if you missed anything. They're all kind of labeled chefs and guests in the feed. Parts Now Known, where we recap Anthony Bourdain episodes. That comes out on Wednesdays. Check out the website. New pages going up. New chef profiles. Ate at a few different restaurants, so those are in the works. More on the way with chef interviews, too, as well. Got a bunch of people lined up, so super excited about what's to come there. Yeah, appreciate everybody listening. Subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you can reach us directly, too. You can email us, spoonmob at yahoo.com, or you can send in through the contact portal on the website. The contact portal is controlled by Squarespace, so if they're having outages, the message might not go through. I had that happen recently with somebody. So if you don't hear back from me for some reason, if you send something through there, shoot me an email. Or you can hit us up on Instagram, direct message, or Twitter. We're on there too as well. We usually tweet out the new episodes as they come out. Instagram or the direct email are probably the best ways if for some reason you don't get a response from the Squarespace portal for some reason. Just sometimes Squarespace is down, so they have to fix some stuff, and I think it kind of maybe blocks out different messages from coming through. So we missed one recently, so just want to put that out there. Appreciate everybody listening. Stay safe. Talk to you guys next week.